Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, lead pastor of Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith so you experience the goodness of God and the greatness of your unique voice in His kingdom. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at overflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional on amazon.com. a home with a mom that always showed Doris Day movies and just wanted everything to be Leave it to Beaver, the happiest view ever. And she told us, and it, when I was growing up, the two big shows that came out were America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries. Those were the two hit shows that were on TV. And she was like, stay away from them. They're scary. And as an obedient child, I listened until... There was a day that she left me and my older sister at home, my older sister, to babysit. And she left, and man, we were feeling tough. And so we watched, and it was a mistake. <laughs> Suddenly, every noise in our house was suspect, right? Like the ice maker would make ice. You'd be like, what's that? And you'd imagine everything that was going on. It was only a few minutes before we decided it was time to secure the perimeter, right? Like go around and check every door and every window. And we're doing that when all of a sudden I hear my sister gasp in the dining room with the windows facing the street. And she runs to me and she says, there's something huge moving in our front yard. I see flashes of white and black coming across and it's scary. And I thought to myself, like, 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 let, let me tell you a few things going on in my head. Where we grew up, we grew up in the deep country. We were on two acres of land. And so there were no neighbors or no lights on. The only thing on probably within a mile was our house lit up like a Christmas tree with two little idiots running around like fish in a barrel for everybody to see. The other thing is this. This took place in the time of pre-technology. So if you wanted to call for help, you were doing so from the kitchen landline with the world's longest phone cord. Anybody remember that one? And when you made the call, prepare to hold on for a while because help is not coming for a good long while. And so I thought to myself, that's it. I disobeyed my mom and now I'm dead. This is what the Bible meant when it said, obey your parents and then you'll enjoy a long life. I didn't do it. I must suffer the consequences. My sister says, shh, it's okay. I'm just going to go kill the lights. And I was like, bad choice of words. But she did. And suddenly our house is completely dark. And we get under the dining room table. I kid you not, I'm 11 or 12 years old. and, And we're looking through what my wife calls goggles when she watches scary movies. Doing this thing just a little bit. And sure enough... Guys, I see my sister's not exaggerating. There's stuff moving across our yard, and it does not look like it's just like one dude. I'm imagining like the, the, the worst band of thugs and horror movie characters you can imagine. I was like Jason and Freddy and Chucky and Barney, like all the scary ones. <laughs> so for the next hours, we sit in terror, and nobody breaks in. So my parents come home and suddenly now we've got this challenge because we've got to make it look like cool because we were not supposed to be watching. So we're good. I'm just going to go to bed, you know. And then I went to bed that night with one eye open because they always attack when you least expect it. So like 
I did not have a good night's sleep. So imagine my surprise when I wake up the next morning to find two things. A, we're, we're alive. And B, my parents tell me, hey, the neighbor's cows got out last night and they were grazing around the neighborhood. So in reality, my greatest terror that stole all my peace was this. Yeah. This morning I want to tell you this. When you're in the dark, every unknown fear and every unhealed trauma longs to control the narrative. And we won't see clearly until someone turns on the light, which is precisely what Jesus came to do. In this series called Wonder, we're looking at when Jesus came in the incarnation and everything that means for us. And I want you to hear with me these words in Matthew chapter 4. It says this. It says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Now, there's something incredible about God and light. We see from the very beginning of our story earth that we first find at the beginning of Genesis is dark and chaotic until God spoke and said, let there be light. And suddenly he called everything to order and it became teeming with life. When you and I face struggles in our life, our deepest struggles, we call them the dark night of our soul. And it's the time we're in the dark night of our soul to know that Jesus came as the light of the world. In fact, John said this, he said that he is such a light that the darkness cannot overcome it. We look in scripture and we're told about our forever home, about what comes next. We're told there is no darkness there at all. Look at this in Revelation. Second to last chapter of the Bible, it says this, I saw no temple in the city. Its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives light, and its lamp is the Lamb, its light. By its light the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I want to tell you this morning, I believe that the cry of all of our hearts is to step out of the fear and the pain and the heartbreak and the uncertainty of the dark so that we can live in the light. And I got to tell you, I, I take hope this morning that darkness is only part of our story in the here and now. It won't go with us into eternity because all darkness is is the relative absence of light in any given place. And when we see God face to face, there will be no darkness ever again. But for you and I right now, in the moments we live, I want to tell you this morning, I believe there are three present darknesses that all of us wrestle with that we desperately need to hear the words that Matthew said in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus came to those in dark valleys as the light. The three darknesses we face would be the darkness of misery, the darkness of mystery, and the darkness of mismanagement. I want to talk about that for just a minute this morning. The first darkness I want to tell you that I believe we're all going to face on this earth is the darkness of misery. This would be the wrestling with suffering in the world. The key question, if you're in a darkness of misery, is if God is powerful, why am I suffering? The word darkness shows up 110 times in the Old Testament, and did you know nearly a third of those, by far the largest portion of the word darkness in the Old Testament takes place in the book of Job. 
30 times in the book of Job, we read the word darkness. Now, Job's story, if you would remember, Job was the righteous man, the one who lived a life pleasing to God, who suddenly found himself facing unimaginable suffering. We read in Job's story that he lost all of his children instantly to a senseless tragedy. Right after that, before he can even process the news, he finds out that his business is burned to the ground and he's lost all of his security and his wealth. And then overnight, he is tormented by a mystery disease that left him in such agony, he couldn't even form words for a week. Now, I don't know where you are in life, but it is likely this morning, if you're listening to my voice, you're not facing all of those things right now. But we've all tasted significant portions of it, haven't we? We've all tasted significant portions of darkness, of great pain and great loss that seems senseless from our vantage point. Come on, let's be honest this morning. We've all come to the place to cry out with a fist in the air, where is God? It's interesting that the story of Job is believed to be the first story that was ever given to us. Job predated Genesis. The first story that ever circulated when people came to talk about the God of Israel was the story of Job. And I think that's intentional. Because Job is the very heart of the gospel. You see, in Job, these are the things we learn. We meet in the pages of Job immediately a God who is mighty and powerful and good. A God who reigns. Right at the beginning of Job, we find that God chooses intimacy with man, that he knows Job and that he loves him and that he doesn't shame him. He says, that's a righteous man who's after my heart. In Job, we find there's an enemy who hates God and hates everything that has been made in the image of God. And for reasons that are never explained to us, suffering is allowed to reign in the realm of the book of Job. And for 37 chapters, most of the book, Job cries out, and he shouts, and he doubts. Now, Job is surrounded by his rule-following friends who play the judge and the jury who have very little sympathy and have the attitude, if you would just work the system the way I do, life would work for you. And it reminds us that if you're going through darkness, listen, there are always going to be armchair theologians who have never faced the particular valley of the shadow of death you're in, who think they could do it better in your shoes. I want to remind us, sometimes you hear people cry out and they go, that's the problem with the church. I want to tell you that's the problem of every community when anybody who's present who isn't Jesus. It's the problem of humanity. So if we're going to choose community and we're going to choose vulnerability, sometimes we're going to be armchair theologians that aren't doing any good and sometimes we're going to face them. It's the problem of our sin. The book of Job, the major cry out, if you read it, it's not a comfortable book, it's not a feel-good, probably not what you want to read during Advent. Because the majority of what you're going to get in Job is wrestling. And the question is this, if God is God, and he can do anything, why am I facing this pain? Can we be honest this morning, is there anybody asking that question in your life right now? God, if you're God if you're powerful, if you can really do anything, if you're really majestic, why am I facing this pain? Why have I suffered this loss? So Job cries out 37 chapters, and at the end of it, God answers in a whirlwind and answers precisely none of Job's questions. In fact, God comes with questions of his own. 
He asked Job, where were you when I spread out the stars across the the sky like a sheet? And I named them, and I placed them all specifically where they needed to be in a finely tuned universe that if they moved the slightest bit closer or further away, you couldn't exist. Where were you then, Job? And Job, can I ask you, do you know where I keep the storehouses of snow and where I release all things for their season in their due time? And Job, since certainly you know, tell me, how is it that I feed the raven and the starving child, and how is it that I hold the cosmos together? The end of God's questions, Job suddenly didn't have anymore. Says simply that he says, I I put my hand on my mouth. I spoke once and I won't speak again. I spoke things too wonderful for me to know. Because before today I had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. You know, there's this popular sentiment we have. You hear people when they're suffering or struggling or frustrated, they say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. And I just want to say in love, no, you won't. One glimpse into the majesty of God for one second was sufficient to evaporate 37 chapters of questions and doubts and shouts and leave this man, this righteous man, with only this. The story was much too wonderful for me to even imagine. I can't even quantify it in words. Isn't it amazing that at the beginning of the story of the book of Job, he can't talk because of his suffering, and at the end, he can't talk because of the majesty and the wonder of his God. And that's the first story to tell us that that's our story. So I want to ask, if you're facing a darkness of misery, how's it going in your story? Job, when he looked into the eyes of God, he saw suddenly this, that God was holy, that he was being held, that God was leading him home. And so there, from his present darkness, before anything changed, Job was filled with hope. And that's why Jesus came. He told us this. He said, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians. He said this. He said, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're facing this morning, but I want to remind us of something so that we save ourselves from some bad theology. In this life, we are going to face much misery. There will be losses and heartbreaks that seem senseless, and some will be inevitable. They're woven into the tapestry of our story. God brings beauty from our ashes, but first we have to face the ashes. But listen, the hope is this, that out of the darkness right now, Jesus is shining to your heart so that you, like Job, can glimpse into the very face of God and see a glory to know that he's holy and that you're being held and that he's leading you home so that your hope is not that your circumstances need to change, but from your present darkness, you can be filled with hope. In just a minute, I'm going to give an opportunity to do that, to walk free of the darkness of misery. There's a second darkness we face. I would call it the darkness of mystery. This is a darkness of wrestling with cynicism. This is the question here. If God is really good, then why do I face so many things that seem bad? 
If God's good, why is there so much bad happening in the world? And I want to tell you, this is very similar at first glance to the first one. Except here, the great pain isn't a pain. The pain is the unanswered questions concerning the life you'd like to lead. See here, the pain that you face isn't this person died or this thing happened. You can't point to it. It's that you have a picture of how you want life to go, and you're not sure it's going to work out that way. In fact, some days you wake up and you're not even sure you're on the right track. I want to tell you that I'm convinced that all of our worry and all of our fear and all of our anxiety is because we have a projected path of where we want our life to go, and we're not sure it's going to happen. So we fear and we fret, and we doubt, and we stress, and we strive, and we bargain. And if it doesn't happen, we resent. So if you find yourself feeling like a cynic today, I'm sorry this next one's not a Hallmark quote for you, but it's true. Cynicism happens because you're not God, but you want to be. Cynicism happens because you're not God, but you want to be. See, cynicism, all it is, is it's a resentment over the illusion of the loss of control. God isn't following the script of who you think God should be, and you've got some opinions about it. God isn't moving the story in the place you want the story to go, and cynicism is way more closely linked to pride and an absence of humility than we'd like to admit. It's a loss of childlike faith that thinks we know better than the creator how to write the script. I want to say this morning, if you're in a darkness of a mystery where you're saying, if God's really good, why is this thing happening? Why am I facing this? Or is the path that I thought was coming, it's not coming together, the finances aren't coming together, things aren't happening. Why? If you're in a darkness and mystery, I want to remind you an important truth. Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but the light is only illumined on the path where you surrender and follow. John chapter 8, he said it this way. Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Now listen to this. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Reminds me of some other words that we quote often from Psalm 119, where we say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I love this because the word lamp in Hebrew, it means an oil lamp, like a little personal lamp or a candle. It's not a floodlight to show you the whole map for months to come so you can predict and control your path. It's a candle to illumine your next step so you don't fall off a cliff as you follow the one who's leading you. I want to tell you, if you're facing a darkness of mystery, let me say it this way, you're facing a darkness of mystery, right? Is there anybody in the room who's like, no, I know where the script's going. I got it all worked out. <laughs> in the darkness of mystery you're facing, I want to tell you that much mystery you're going to face in life is by design. Because you are not God. You're called to follow him. There is much that will happen in this life that you won't know and you won't understand. And so if you're a darkness of mystery, you've got a choice. You can either resent the dark and blame God and others and yourself and force your circumstances. Or you can receive the light Jesus is offering onto your path and take the next step. Now before we close and actually apply this, there's one other darkness and it's not a comfortable one. It's the darkness I would call the darkness of mismanagement. This is the wrestling with sin. 
And if you want to know what the darkness and mismanagement looks like, it's this. Unless I pursue God as God, I will foolishly try to play God. The darkness of misery and the darkness of mystery are largely unavoidable. But this one, oh, we can reduce and minimize this one greatly as we surrender to the Holy Spirit. Because this is the darkness we choose when we refuse to let God be God. The Bible has a lot to say about self-imposed darkness. What I would call making our own morality or dressing up the darkness in trendy clothes of tolerance that gets applauded by the masses but is nothing more than idolatry of created beings wanting to play the creator of their own destiny. And it's happening all around us today. You see people say, well, I understand that the Bible says or the church teaches X, Y, Z, but I don't agree with that. I don't think that looks much like love. And so I'm going to do something. And this looks like tolerance and love. And what God says is bigoted and judgmental because I don't get it. I want to tell you that in that point, you're hearing somebody who has stopped pursuing God and they're starting to play God. And you can dress it up however you want to. But you're doing so from the darkness. And this is what I hate. I hate watching in so much language right now of people writing their own script that they're missing the selfishness and the narcissism that is agreeing with an orphan spirit because it doesn't trust the goodness and an adoration of a father. So it's saying it's all up to me. I've got to defend. I've got to protect. I'm the good guy. I'm going to be the voice of morality. And it takes the wheel and it makes the rules and it steers straight into darkness. And then it blames God. How else could it be that we find ourselves as one of the richest nations in the world and also one of the sickest? A darkness of mismanagement. We find ourselves flailing by our own self-made rules as the blind lead the blind into the same pits. And in, in case you're thinking, yeah, that's what those people do, I want to remind us that's the problem of humanity. That's what we do. Let me go further. That's what I do. So if right now you're like, oh man, that got heavy really quick. We were laughing a minute ago about a cow in your front yard, and now you're talking about mismanaging my life. No, I mismanage my life. You see, we live in a dark valley, and we needed a light to come. So what do we do when we find ourselves in the place of mismanagement? Somebody say, praise God. Praise God. Good, let's actually say it like we mean it. Say, praise God. The message of Christmas is that we might be in some valleys of darkness, but the light has come. I want you to hear these words in Colossians. It says this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, in Ephesians, it says this. At one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. And take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. I want to remind us that we will live like who we believe we are. And the testimony of the cross is not just that God came to shine light. He didn't just come to illumine light. He came to incarnate himself as light and then to indwell us so that we walk as lights in a dark world. But I got to remind us this morning that God is holy. And he cannot be mocked. Though it is not a popular message in a lot of places, I want to say that what God says is right and good and light is not because God lacks tolerance, but because God leads us to truth. 
Some paths are light and lead to life, and some paths are darkness and lead to fear and bondage and death. And all of the reasons might not make sense to me and you, but praise God, we're not needed to play God. It's enough to pursue him. Now, I've got a new blog coming out tomorrow morning. One of the new things that I want to be doing is helping to equip, and I don't want to preach three messages to you in one day. I want to preach one. It's sufficient. So tomorrow morning, on this point, how do we walk as broken vessels to actually be light? I've got six places that tomorrow morning a blog will come out and walk us through exactly how to do that. But right now in this moment, I want to promise you, if you're hearing my voice, you're facing one of these darknesses or somebody you dearly love is facing it. A darkness of misery, a darkness of mystery, and a darkness of mismanagement. And for all of us, we're invited to behold wonder. The people living in darkness see a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The Father is calling us to be held, to let us lead him home, to be filled from our darkness with hope. Would you stand with me? I want to ask in this moment, if you would, I'm going to ask every person here in my voice, if you'd close your eyes, now just breathe in deeply, and I'm going to ask in this next few minutes, would you just lay your hand on your heart, because I want to make this personal between God and you. This is a place where we just ground ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I've heard some thoughts about darkness and light, what do you have to say? I want to tell you right now with your hand on your heart that your father adores you very much. He knows you completely. And he saw the darkness around you not enough to just come illumine light, but to incarnate as light and to come and indwell you so that you would radiate with light. Light is your inheritance. But right now, in any place that would feel like darkness, I want to give three opportunities to just lay it down and ask the Lord to come. I'm going to ask our prayer ministers just to come up front. And right now with your hand on your heart, I'm going to ask three questions. And here's what you can do with this. You can stand right at your seat or sit in your seat or turn your chair into an altar if that's the best way for you to meet with God. But for some of you, somebody hearing my voice, you need the touch of another person to come into agreement. You need somebody else to pray and agree. There's a burden you need to lay down, and if so, the altar is open for you to come. Three questions I want to ask are this. First, where are you going through suffering? Is there a place right now where you're facing a sickness or a heartbreak or a piercing loss of a relationship, either by death or by just a breakdown of peace in the relationship? Is there a place where it feels like all hell is breaking loose around you and you can't make sense of it? You're suffering. Can I ask right now, because I know you've asked all the questions, if right now you're in a place where you don't have the answers, but you desperately need an anointing, a new a new path open to come to God as the answer. I'm going to ask that you would just come forward to one of these prayer ministers 
or that right from where you are, you'd say, God, I don't have the answers. I don't know. I'm suffering. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm walking through. I've been seeking answers. I can't find it. Would you actually open it up that it's not just words? It's not a cutesy saying. God, I want to seek you as my answer. Would you come meet me in the darkness? Even now, if that's you, I'm going to ask you out of your seat to come to one of these ministers. The second question I want to ask is where do you find yourself cynical because God's not following the script that you wish he would write? Where is it if you're really honest? You feel like your days go with your circumstances. You're not filled with unspeakable joy. You saw Pastor Aaron up here weeping over the glory of God and you thought, man, that must be nice. Something feels cynical and jaded within. Can I ask you, don't run from it. Can you just start to be honest? God, this is where I'm in a darkness of mystery. And this is what I want to ask if you're here. And it's counterintuitive and it's tough. Would you start from the place of laying down pride? God, I'm sorry, because somewhere in my emotions and my feelings, I think I know better than you. Somewhere I think I would write a better story than you. And I know that it's, I can't see completely, but I'm asking you right now to fill me again with gratitude for somebody right now. The script has been all about your circumstances and you desperately need this morning to come and say, Jesus, you're enough. We're eternal beings living in the midst of what right now the Bible describes as a vapor. This is the dream. We'll awake forever into a reality where there's no darkness ever again. There will be no questions. We'll see our God face to face. And if you belong to him, that's your inheritance. So I want to say this in love and with a broken heart. If you're struggling under a darkness of mystery, life isn't working for me, would you stop right now and stop empowering your circumstances and say, Jesus, you're enough. You're the treasure worth selling it all for. I don't follow you so that I get. I follow you, period. You've been good to me. You are goodness itself. You love me. You adore me. My heart can rest in you if you never answer another single prayer. If I never see with my eyes another tangible blessing. Jesus, you've been ridiculously good. I ask right now for an anointing to come upon your heart, not just words to come to your heart of gratitude to say, Jesus, you're enough. If you need one of these ministers to agree, would you come? One last question I'm going to ask. Is there any place right now where you find yourself in a darkness because of mismanagement? You've been walking in a place in your life where you've been calling audibles and living by your own rules. You've been living for your happiness. You've been living for your way. There's things that Jesus said were out of bounds for you or for someone else, and you said, because I don't understand it, I'm just going to cast that part aside, and I'm going to call my own rules over here. And God's right now calling you to repent. And say, I'm going to let you be God. I'm not going to try to play God. 
There's a word in the Bible, repent, and all it means to let go of what is in your hands and to turn around and he bridges every distance. Can I ask right now, is there a place? I'm asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to each heart. Is there a place where he's saying, you're walking in a mismanagement of what I've given you and I want you to lay it down? Is there a place right now where God is saying, I've got to surrender and, and, and really give my heart to him again because I'm just going through the motions. I'm going to church, I'm being moral, but gosh, I want Jesus to come have everything. Would you just surrender? Last question I'm going to ask here in the room. If you're at the place right now that you're hearing this and you're saying, I don't know that I've ever come to do that in my life, but I want Jesus to come and fully take over. I want that relationship with him. I want him to step into my darkness as the light, whether my circumstances change or not. I want to be filled with his hope. I want to come today from death into life, from darkness into light. And I don't know that I've ever done it before. If that's you, I just want to give an opportunity. With every other eye closed, I promise you, I'm going to tell everybody to close their eyes except our outreach pastor, Erin, because she wants to connect with anybody that's going to pray this prayer to help you take the next steps. If that's you and you're saying, God is saying right now, I need to surrender and come fully into his kingdom. Would you just lift both hands over your head? That's the international sign of surrender. Would you just say, here I am. Here I am, God. I'm surrendering fully for you to come and take over. Jesus. I ask right now that heaviness and darkness would flee that the scripts of the enemy who tries to come into the midst of our darkness so that we would shout and doubt and cry out. Father, would you show us that you love us and you've come. For every heart that is crying out and saying, Jesus, take over, here's my life. I just want to assure your heart right now, it's already done. Father, I ask for each of us, Right now, those who feel they're walking through valleys of darkness, would you shine a bright light? And so now in this place, I just want to proclaim a blessing over each of us. So there with your hand on your heart, I just want to speak this now. So now may the God who said, let light shine out of darkness Step into your present valley of darkness. And may he shine himself in your heart right now so that you experience glory, seeing just as Job did the face of Jesus. In Jesus' name, we call for all heaviness to go. We call for wonder to come. And Father, we rest in the truth that you are holy, that you are holding us, and that you are leading us home. And so, Father, I ask that from every place of our darkness, you would fill us with your hope. If you agree with that, say amen.